Welcome to the Occult London Podcast. This is a new podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, the Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you like the podcast, please write a review and rate us on iTunes as it will really help us to get this message out there. Also, be sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk where you can subscribe to the show. If anyone has any questions for me, then I would love to hear from you. So please reach out via Facebook or on email. I'd love to answer any questions you might have. You can find my Facebook on the show notes or alternatively email me at occultlondonpodcast at gmail.com. Hope you enjoy it. In tonight's episode, we are kicking off a new series um, talking about the planets and planetary magic and how these mighty spheres of influence have been worked with over the years by magicians and by people um, looking to use their sort of spiritual powers, etc. So let's have a look at planetary magic. So since the earliest times, really, magicians, scholars, mystics, they've all been fascinated by the movement of the stars and the planets above our head. From Babylonia and Chaldea to Greece to Rome to Alexandria to the Middle Ages and Renaissance times, the stars and the planets have played an important part in the mysteries and a core part of traditional astrology and obviously magical practice. The Western esoteric tradition has for a very long time really been focused heavily on an aspect of this ancient astrology which is known as planetary magic. And this idea really stems from the concept that the influence of primarily the seven traditional planets affect both our inner world but also the outer as per the hermetic axiom, as above, so below. The term planets comes from the Greek planetos, meaning wanderers, and the word really applies to the objects that move the fastest through the sky from our viewpoint on Earth and which were easily visible to our ancestors thousands of years ago. Traditional astrology has a framework whereby the cosmos is arranged into eight spheres which fit into one another, so it's a little bit like a different layers of an onion. The highest sphere is the area known as the fixed stars, and this is then moved by the premium mobile, mobile. And then surrounding all of that is the empyrean, or the divine heavens. And then you have the order of the planets, which is Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Sun, Venus, Mercury and Moon. The order of the planets follows the speed of the planets. So obviously Saturn is the slowest, which takes around 30 years to orbit the Earth. And then obviously the quickest one is the Moon, which takes 30 days to orbit. So the sequence of Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Sun, Venus, Mercury, Moon is the Chaldean order of the planets. And these correspond very much to what Eliphas Levi tells us in his Transcendental Magic text when he says the following. Infancy is dedicated to the sun, childhood to the moon, youth to Mars and Venus, manhood to Mercury, ripe age to Jupiter and old age to Saturn. Planetary magic is different to astronomy 
and also different to astrology, which obviously comes from the Greek word astro, meaning star, and logos, meaning speech. And this is something that Denning and Phillips write about in their book, Planetary Magic, which I would recommend anyone who's interested in this and interested in taking things deeper. Definitely recommend that book by Denning and Phillips, as it's probably one of the most in-depth magical books I've ever read um, on this particular subject, and they cover pretty much everything in there. So I've got a quote from them here. Astronomy tells us of the orbits and brightness of these seven luminaries, of their constituents and atmospheres. Astrology tells us of the effect upon us and upon our lives of the varying blending light reflected visibly and radiating invisibly from their surfaces. And magic tells us that additionally to all this, originating, empowering and acting through the luminaries are great creative impulses, the archetypes of the divine mind. And that's a quote from Denning and Phillips, Planetary Magic. So planetary magic is very much deeply ensconced in many different magical and spiritual practices from you know, the tarot, divination, astrology, as well as more formalised ritual and ceremonial magic, and also obviously more modern pagan and Wiccan traditions. The influence of planetary magic can be found in lots of different grimoires. So you hear it referenced in Arbitel, Picatrix, uh, the Great Key of Solomon, which deals with angelic magic, but also the Olympic spirits, such as Phaleg, Araratol and Ophiel. And these spirits and powers of the different planets are commonly called upon to charge, consecrate and create different talismans as well as other rituals. Eliphas Levi, who I mentioned earlier, he was a very famous French magician who lived in Paris during the turn of the century, um, writes in his Transcendental Magic text the following. The seven planets are in fact the hieroglyphic symbols of the keyboard of our affections. To compose talismans of the sun, moon or Saturn is to attach the will magnetically to signs corresponding to the chief powers of the soul. To consecrate something to Mercury or Venus is to magnetise that object according to a direct intention, whether intention, pleasure, science or profit be the end in view. So what he's talking about there is very much this idea that these planets are really sort of keyboards um, or keys to access these different universal energies. And when we create a, a talisman to the sun or to the moon or to Saturn, we are making that link between uh, that power within ourselves, within our soul and that planetary power. So it's very much, again, this hermetic concept of as above, so below, as within, so without. Planetary magic normally also refers to the classical planets in the Western world and that can be seen with our naked eye. So these are the Moon, Mercury, Venus, Sun, Mars, Jupiter and Saturn. And although this seems quite strange from a modern perspective, the Moon is a satellite, obviously the Sun we know is a star and we're also missing the rest of the more recently discovered planets in our solar system in this schematic but the reason they focus on the planets that can be seen with the the naked eye is because really, you know, our definition of um, planets have changed 
over the centuries. The current definition of a planet is a celestial body that orbits the star and has sufficient mass to assume a mostly, well, pretty much a round shape. Um, however, with the heliocentric system that existed before, astronomers really defined the planet as a star that moved in an orbit. And as we've seen, the word planet comes from the Greek planetos, which means wandering star. And if we think about the that word from the perspective of the naked eye, it appears that all of the celestial bodies are moving. Hence the sun, the moon and all the others would have been grouped together. And it's also because of these planets that were visible, they had a very powerful effect on our psyche. So obviously we stand in, in our garden, on our rooftops, on the beach, wherever, we're looking up at the stars and we are doing exactly the same as people have for thousands of years. Thousands of years, thousands of people have stood there and looked at those very same lights and wondered and looked at them with mystery. And that's a very deep thing to, to think about. And um, yeah, Denning and Phillips also talk about this quite closely in their book, which I wanted to just reference again uh, with this quote. The planetary powers of the cosmos are far beyond our inf- intervention, both in magnitude and in their mode of being. But their counterparts in the deeps of the psyche, although they are equally not ours, are within our reach by certain special meditative and ritual methods. And when one of the counterparts is thus stirred by our action, it produces effects of the same character as those which typify its cosmic original. And that's a quote from Denning and Phillips. So the majority of planetary magic and magical techniques using these the planets um, was obviously developed you know, really before astronomers ceased to believe in this geocentric idea. And we'll discuss geocentrism in a little bit of detail now. In essence, it's really the belief that the seven classical planets that are seen with our eyes are visible layers of existence that kind of really stretch from really close proximity, which is kind of the closest to the Earth, right up to the highly abstract and spiritual realms of Saturn and beyond. And these layers are frequently referred to as being spheres. And it's thought that through travelling through these magical spheres, using magical or spiritual techniques, the magician can ascend through the different layers of the planetary spheres to reach the divine. It's also very much connected with the idea that of the celestial spheres, spheres. This is the idea that really begins before the Middle Ages, but which gains popularity during that time when scholars believe that God reveals his secrets in nature, so its divine laws and understanding them would enable a greater understanding of God. And this is why astronomy was also known as the Queen of the Sciences. Like the ancient systems, it really focused on an Earth-centred universe. Aristotle also is quite interesting from this point of view because he developed a theory whereby we live essentially amongst millions of crystalline spheres which are centred on the Earth and layered within 
one another like an onion. And each of these levels contains a specific substance or body and communicates motions to its neighbours. And earth was meant to be surrounded by spheres of water, air and fire. And then there were seven spheres for the sun, the moon and the five known planets and one for the fixed stars. And then Aristotle also mentions the primum mobile or the first mover which is kind of the ultimate spirit or intelligence which activates that premium mobile and this late this idea of this prime prime mover or this original kind of spirit behind things also you know maybe one of the ideas that the christian mystics later on adopted because it it fits very well with this concept of god creating the universe um ptolemy is also worth noting on this this front so ptolemy um actually had a mathematical explanation which um, he agreed with aristotle's ordering of the planets but he also omitted the spheres of elements around the earth and he also minimizes the need for a prima primum movile um, Ptolemy's universe is also described by the mathematical relationships of the distances between the planets and their relative rates of motion thus in if we look at planetary magic and the early view of the cosmos the material and the spiritual worlds they're not seen as separate as we think of them now they are seen as one as part of the same cosmos which is a really nice beautiful way of looking at it i think and very closely related to the animist view where everything is alive everything has a consciousness the entire universe is seen as one unified being one living thing where all different parts of it are connected by spiritual correspondences and sympathies so it's a little bit like if you play a guitar string in a music shop if you play like uh, an e string for instance every other musical instrument that has that string that note tuned to it will resonate so it's the same concept from that point of view we're all meant to be connected and if you do something here it has an effect on everything else which is similar the earth and matter um is yeah was seen as as less than perfect than the spiritual realm and so more subject to you know restriction from the concept of sort of the life and death and also while the spiritual realm was also considered to be eternal but they believe that through the study of the known universe such as the planets the mystics the magicians and the astrologers believe that they would be able to come closer to those hidden levels of reality so they believe that if you look at the shape of the stones on the ground and you look at the plants you can greater understand that heaven because as i said before the hermetic axiom is as above so below as within so without so in this cosmos it's very similar to the kabbalistic viewpoint and where all the worlds cross over and interpenetrate each other. So, for example, the sun appears as a divine god in the archetypal world, but in the material realm, the sun is also mentioned as being part of doctors and physicians, and obviously with 
the Archangel Mikael. And through working with the correct correspondences in the material realm, we can connect with that divine counterpart. And this is something Marsilio Ficino writes about in his three books of life. Ficino was a very famous um, academic scholar who lived in the Renaissance, um, in Renaissance Italy. And Ficino writes this, and I quote, I have said elsewhere that down from every single star, so to speak platonically, there hangs its own series of things down to the lowest, under the celestial serpent or the entire constellation of the serpent bearer. They place Saturn and sometimes Jupiter, afterwards demons who often take on serpent's form. In addition, men of this kind, serpents, the animals, the snakeweed, the stone draconite, which originates in the head of a dragon, and the stone commonly called serpentine, by a similar system, they think a chain of beings descends by levels from any star of the firmament through any planet under its dominion. If, therefore, as I said, you combine at the right time all the solar things through any level of that order, i.e. men of solar nature or something belonging to such a man. Likewise animals, plants, metals, gems and whatever pertains to these, you will drink in unconditionally the power of the sun and to some extent the natural powers of the solar demons. And that's from Ficino. He also says the following, and I wanted to quote from him again because this, this is really good stuff and it's, it's really interesting. Thus, just as humans have a physical body, a divine spirit and a soul as intermediary between them, so does the universe. Being composed of the divine spirit of God, physical matter and the world's soul or anima mundi. In addition, the world soul possesses by divine power precisely as many seminal reasons of things as there are ideas in the divine mind. By these seminal reasons she fashions the same number of species in matter. That is why every single species corresponds through its seminal reason to its own idea. And if, in the proper manner, you bring to bear on a species, or on some individual in it, many things which are dispersed, but conform to the same idea, into this material, thus suitably adapted, you will soon draw a particular gift from the idea, through the seminal reason of the soul. And that's from Ficino, Three Books on Life. Book 3, Chapter 1. So what is Ficino saying is, is really that everything has a correspondence on a higher level. Therefore, the seven planets were thought to links to higher levels of reality and also linking with our soul. And this idea is very well expressed by Cornelius Agrippa in his three books of occult philosophy in a section titled that the whole sublunary world and those things which are in it are distributed to the planets. And I just wanted to quote from Agrippa as well. Moreover, 
whatsoever is found in the whole world is made according to the governments of the planets and accordingly receives its virtue. So in fire, the enlivening light thereof is under the government of the sun, the heat of it under Mars in the earth, the various superficies thereof under the moon and Mercury, and the starry heaven, the whole mass of it under Saturn. But in the middle elements, air is under Jupiter, and water under the moon, but being mixed under Mercury and Venus. In like manner, natural active causes observe the sun, the matter the moon, the fruitfulness of active causes, Jupiter, the fruitfulness of the matter, Venus, the sudden affecting of any thing, Mars and Mercury, that for his veminency, this for his dexterity and manifold virtue. But the permanent continuation of all things is ascribed to Saturn. Also amongst vegetables, everything that bears fruit is from Jupiter, and everything that bears flowers is from Venus. All seed and bark is from Mercury, and all roots from Saturn, and all wood from Mars and leaves from the moon. Wherefore, all that bring forth fruit and not flowers are of Saturn and Jupiter, but they that bring forth flowers and seed and not fruit are of Venus and Mercury. Those which are brought forth of their own accord, without seed, are of the moon and Saturn. All beauty is from Venus, all strength from Mars, and every planet rules and disposeth that which is like to it. Also in stones their weight clamminess and slipsiness is of Saturn, their use and temperament of Jupiter, their hardness from Mars, their life from the Sun, their beauty and fairness from Venus, their occult virtue from Mercury, and their common use from the Moon. And that is a quote from Cornelius Agrippa. One of the most famous probably most influential users of planetary magic is a mysterious text known as the Picatrix, which is also known as the Aim of the Sage or the Goal of the Wise. Um, it's unclear who actually wrote this text. They believe it's from the 11th century. Um, some scholars suggest it was written um, by a person called Mazlama Ahmed Al-Khmajdit of Madrid, who basically put together Greek and Arabic sources um, in a collection into this book. However, there are other scholars who suggest it may not be that. Um, it's an interesting book. It's very complicated. It's not something um, I'd recommend people getting into as a beginner um, because it's, it's, it's you know quite a lot of very dark stuff in there as well. Um, but it does focus heavily on astrological and planetary magic, and it also talks about the magician needing to get into alignment with the specific planetary intelligences, which include periods of fasting. It also includes choosing different foods that are appropriate to the planet, wearing the right kind of clothing, which correspond with the corresponding perfumes and incense. And a lot of these aspects of correspondences have developed down through the ages 
and remain to us to you know to even today so you see it in you know psychology you see it in things like aromatherapy colors scents you know it's been proven now that different scents different colors different clothes um will have an effect on our mood and our emotions so if you do poo poo the idea of planets having an influence over you then you know think about that that we do it's actually proven that different colors will actually affect different moods so for instance red is more likely to make you angry whereas blue is more of a calming and that's kind of been proven um so yeah so therefore planetary magic really kind of follows the principle that that all material things here on the earth have a connection with a planet and then through using different correspondences techniques um, such as talismans magical squares or simply just meditating with a candle and thinking about a specific planet we can actually make contact with that planetary energy and begin to make positive changes in our lives as you mentioned in the beginning planetary magic is very different to astrology where one would consider the astrological positions of planets in relation to a question so it'd be horari uh, astrology um, which is kind of more of a passive way of working with the planets the magician and if we are magicians we are doers we use our willpower to actually go out there and do stuff and really have an impact on our our world around us so we're actively involved in summoning connecting with those planets and that's really key it's like we are going out there and we are connecting we are making changes in our consciousness in accordance with will we're making changes in our world hopefully for the positive and um you know this is really important because it's it's just this is a way of tapping into those deeper energies within us through working with these specific planetary planetary initiations planetary beings planetary spirits planetary energies whatever you want to call it you are really going to start connecting with some of those deeper levels within your soul and kind of really tapping into that cosmic archetype that sits behind us all behind all of the magic that we do so in the next episodes we will be continuing this discussion on planetary magic with a discussion on each of the planets and i'll also be talking to you a bit more about some of the practical ways you can work with these spheres as well so we'll be including planetary days hours talismans um, and another stuff as well so definitely stay tuned and definitely definitely listen to those episodes because i'm hoping you'll enjoy them to finish this episode i wanted to recite the orphic hymn um, to the stars or astron because obviously we're working our way through these planets so let's start with the stars and this is the orphic hymn with holy voice i call the stars on high pure sacred lights and genie of the sky celestial stars the prodigy of night in whirling circles beaming far your light refulgent rays around the heavens ye throw eternal fires the source of all below with flames significant of fate ye shine and aptly rule for men a path divine 
In seven bright zones ye run with wandering flames, and heaven and earth compose your lucid frames. With course unwearied, pure and fiery bright, forever shining through the veil of night. Hail twinkling, joyful, ever wakeful fires, propitious shine on all my just desires. These sacred rites regard with conscious rays and end our works devoted to your praise. Thanks so much for joining us this week on the Awkward London Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please make sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk where you can subscribe to the show. And I'll look forward to seeing you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.